Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 125. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First we have Zenate that make an indoor swim trainer that consists of an inflatable swim bench and uh, stretch cords with pedals attached to them. This is a great tool for a dry land swim training that is uh, highly relevant right now when a lot of people are not able to go to the pool. But even in normal times it can help athletes that are time restricted in particular to get in an extra effective but short session or two from the comfort of their own home and uh, thereby increasing their ability to perform in the water and uh, there are plenty of educational resources including workouts and coaching tips on the senate swimtrainer.com website and on their youtube channel so go and check those out and of course if you want to buy yours then you can get it for 20 percent off with a promo code that you can get on senate swimtrainer.com forward slash tts and thank you to Roka that you can find on Roka.com. Roka are really focusing on the details in every single one of their products and uh, that has led to some of their best innovation including things like the angled lenses in their swim goggles that increases the field of vision so you don't have to lift your head as much when siding. The arms of technology in their wetsuit which you have in all of their wetsuits from entry level to flagship models which uh, minimizes restriction of mobility in the shoulder area. You have uh, Geeko anti-slip technology in their sunglasses and uh, prescription glasses so that your glasses never fall off your face and many many other cool features and innovations that uh, make their products as good as they can possibly be. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses on roca.com and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Now on to today's questions. The first one is from Derek in Canada who writes, Hi Michael, thank you as always for the excellent content. With many parts of Canada still in the midst of the second wave of COVID-19, pools are still closed and I haven't been able to swim since my last DIY half-distance race in September 2020. I am registered for Ironman Canada in August 2021 and I will be following your beginner Ironman training plan starting in March. I'm hanging on to the outside chance that the race may actually proceed, in some format at least. This will be my first full distance race after completing many sprint and Olympic races over the past 8 to 9 years, as well as half distance races in each of the last 2 years. I have been trying to incorporate the swim cord workout that you have given in your COVID, in your free COVID-19 training plan on a weekly basis, but I was curious how you would recommend replacing more traditional swim sessions in terms of uh, substituting with bike, run and or strength work, given that it may be a while before I can swim with any kind of regularity and structure again. If you have any general guidelines for how someone can replace swim workouts in a training plan, it would be really appreciated. Thank you if you choose to answer this question on the podcast. All right, uh, Derek, thank you so much for your question. Uh, definitely one that I think a lot of uh, people uh, have been wondering and are wondering about. So uh, more than happy to answer it here. I think that the first point that I want to make is that no matter what you do to offset losses in swim fitness by doing forms of cross-training, you can't actually replace swimming effectively meaning that you will come out of this period of no swimming having lost performance ability in the water no question about it you simply have to accept that as the first step 
It is, however, important to note the difference there between losing performance ability and losing fitness. So performance ability uh, consists of many things, including technique, also general fitness and specific swim fitness. And you will certainly lose uh, swim-specific fitness to some extent, although you can offset some of that loss by doing some dry land training. Uh, but uh, you probably can't completely replace that loss of specific fitness. You can definitely offset the loss of general fitness. You can actually increase your general fitness, and that will offset your loss in performance ability in swimming. But what you really probably will have the most difficulty with is the technique aspect, because water is a foreign environment, and we'll get on to that. But that's the thing that is the most difficult to replace. So the net effect in your swimming performance ability will go down even if some aspects of it might go up including the general fitness so uh, moving on to the second point here for those listening that are lucky enough to live somewhere where it may already be or will soon be possible to swim in the open water i would say do it as much as you can and i know that there are a lot of people that really don't have the ability to do open water swimming on a very frequent basis because it may you may not have it very close to you you may have to drive for a while to get there even if you can't do it as frequently as you would go to the pool that's not something that uh, anybody would expect i think but if you can even do it just on a weekly basis even a bi-weekly basis but i think a weekly basis would really be fantastic and i'm speaking from personal experience here from our first lockdown that one open water swim per week uh, can count for a lot because as I said, water is a foreign environment to us. Our perception of movement in the water is distorted. So habitual exposure to that environment is the single best way to maintain your performance ability with maintaining that technical ability and proprioception of movement in the specific environment. So that's the thing that cannot be replaced. So if you can actually do open water swimming, when when that's possible if pools are still closed in the summer when you are actually able to do open water swimming in canada as well which i realize will be a while then use that opportunity when when it comes along now in terms of replacing uh, swim training or pool training with bike run and strength training rather than open water swimming which is a bit of a cop-out i realize then that is something i do think that everybody who is in your situation should do so by that i mean don't just let training time go to waste if you're used to swimming a certain number of times per week or a certain number of hours per week then uh, don't take that time and add it to your netflix budget but add it to your training budget that to me is a no-brainer first of all uh, the more difficult question of course and that is what we're getting to is how to choose and decide what to add in for in those training slots that you that, uh, that are open up because opened up because of your uh, pools being closed first i do think that doing at least uh, a little bit of swim specific strength and conditioning uh, does make a lot of sense this will help maintain some strength and muscular endurance uh, swim specific fitness in other words and even just neuromotor patterns and control so that might not completely offset the technical loss or it will not completely offset it but some of it you can maybe maintain better than if you don't do any of it is my take on it so in other words you'll be in a much better starting position when you can swim again if you have done this sort of swim specific strength and conditioning so a couple of principles that i think applies to this strength and conditioning when it comes to to replacing swim workouts would be number one that frequency of 
frequency exposure trumps long sessions. So I would say that, for example, if you can do three times 15 minutes, they would be better than one times 45 minutes or even one times 60 minutes in a week, even if the total time is shorter with three times 15 compared to one times one hour. I would say that those three times 15 minutes would be more valuable. And then the second principle is the law of diminishing returns. Uh, and uh, I think that with the swim-specific strength and conditioning and how much you can offset the loss in swim performance, I think the law of diminishing returns uh, comes against you rather quickly. So by going from one to two sessions of 20 minutes of swim-specific strength and conditioning, you'll probably get a good additional benefit by going from two to three times 20 minutes per week you will get uh, some benefit but less than going from one to two by going from three to four um, yeah i think that at that point probably you might not get as much out of it as uh, as you would from adding a fourth swim compared to the third swim and the same applies to uh, adding the third strength and conditioning session versus the second versus the third swim session from from two so so with that uh to summarize, if an athlete can do two to three times 20 minutes, then that to me is already quite successful. And uh, and I would say that you can be quite happy about it. Now, what should you do for the swim-specific strength and conditioning? So you have been doing the stretch cord workout from my free COVID-19 plan. And by the way, for those not aware, just go to scientifictriathlon.com and uh, under training plans, there is a tab called free COVID-19 plan and it's available in different volume versions. So you can just download that uh, in your Training Peaks account. Uh, but funnily enough, those exercises that I have in that stretch cord workouts are handpicked from an article by uh, Kieran Linders. Uh, and that was long before I knew Kieran through Zen8. I just found his articles and found that, well, those are really, really good exercises. So, so that's why I handpicked them from there. Uh, I think that you can definitely achieve the goals of maintaining some strength and muscular endurance and even neuromotor patterns uh, with just normal stretch cords. Uh, I am, of course, very biased here, but uh, but I do think that you can take it up a level by upgrading to the Senate Swim Trainer. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that, but the absolute main one is simply the fact that you're laying down in prone position, just like you would when swimming. So the specificity element is just a lot better uh, for that reason of your body position actually mimicking the one that you will have in the water. Uh, of course, those athletes that have their own home gyms could do some swim-specific work in there. Not necessarily so specific, but some uh, exercises that work the same muscle groups that we want to that, that we are using in swimming would be pull-ups, uh, lat pull-downs, single-arm rows, and so on. Those are great exercises. But to be honest, I think that this is getting quite far removed from the specifics of the swim stroke. So I do think I include those exercises in my strength and conditioning programs uh, when athletes go to the gym in normal times when they're also swimming, of course. Uh, but but I don't think that those kinds of exercises will really help offset the loss of performance ability because they are not specific in their movement patterns. Uh, so so in other words, they're good complements to actually swimming, but during a period of no swimming, I don't think that kind of work will, should be the sole or primary method to maintain swim-specific abilities. So, so for that, I would simply say that you're, uh, you're replacing swim training with strength and conditioning 
should use a method like normal stretch cords or if you're lucky and have a senate swim trainer then that obviously or, or or the vasa trainer if you're lucky and have have the vasa trainer of course some athletes especially low volume athletes might only add strength and conditioning to replace their swimming so for example a more beginner athlete that might be swimming two times 30 minutes uh, per week then maybe you simply do two times 30 minutes of strength and conditioning instead with a lot of that strength and conditioning being focused on on those swim specific uh, maintaining abilities i would say that for this group of athletes you would probably do well to not only do the swim specific strength in these sessions so again in the example of having two times 30 minutes of strength and conditioning i think that maybe if you use 15 to 20 minutes of that on swim swim specific conditioning and then 15 10 to 15 minutes on general strength and conditioning you could use you could actually just go and download the free covid19 plan and uh, there are a number of different strength circuits home-based strength circuits that you can do with minimal equipment and uh, and use the rest of the time in those strength specific sessions to to add in some work for the lower body for hips and glutes for the core and so on that, that would be that would be the perfect setup if you're on the low volume side of things for athletes that are training at a slightly higher volume it doesn't have to be high high like really up there but uh, but even if it's sort of like a moderately high or uh, it doesn't really make sense to replace all your swimming with strength and conditioning because as i said diminishing returns of uh, getting a positive effect comes against you rather quickly here with strength and conditioning so you might as well use more of that uh, freed up training time to work on your bike and run. So for this group of athletes, I would say run through the following questions here. With the first question being, are you prone to running injuries? Then any training time you still have to allocate after obviously adding some strength and conditioning, then all of that rest of the training time can go to cycling. If you're not prone to running injuries, then... Uh, ignore this question and move on to question two which is do you have a clear weakness or limiter of race performance between running and cycling if you do allocate most if not all of your time to that weaker discipline if you don't have a clear weakness however then you can distribute any remaining time at this point fairly evenly between the bike and the run and then i also have an addendum one which is don't add volume rapidly to the run only add a little volume each week so if you eventually if you have one hour that you want to allocate to the run and you eventually want to allocate one one more hour per week to the run then actually don't do that right away take a few weeks at least a couple of weeks if not more to build up to that and this is where your own experience of how much and how quickly you can build you, you really need to take that into consideration and if you don't know then better err on the side of caution and maybe build up to that extra one hour or i don't know four weeks or so in terms of how to use the volume that you have let's say that you usually swim two times one hour per week and you have already been doing some general strength and conditioning work in your normal training schedule so doing things like core work and hips and glutes and so on then perhaps you just replace the two times 60 minutes of swimming with two times 20 minutes of additional swim specific strength and conditioning and that leaves you one hour and 20 minutes to use on the bike and the run and in this example let's say you don't normally get running injuries 
and the bike is your weakness. So you decide to add all of that an hour, one hour, 20 minutes to the bike. Now the question is how, in what way should you do that? So here we could get into all sorts of scenarios and discussions around frequency versus duration of individual workouts. It depends on this and it depends on that and so on. But let's just paint some broad brush strokes here. And I would say that if you're currently on the bike less than three times per week, then add that extra time that you have available as another workout, bringing you to three workouts per week. Or if, you're, if you happen to only be riding one, once per week, then maybe you're at two times per week, but at least you're closer to three workouts per week. So basically, if you're below three workouts per week, then increasing frequency of training will be the most beneficial for you. Actually, I have uh, done a podcast interview on the Endurance Innovation podcast about talking about frequency and duration in the past. So you can Google that or I'll put a link in the episode description. Uh, I try to do that. Yeah, I'll do that if I can find it and, and listen to the full episode on that. But basically... I said in that interview that going from two to three workouts per week can bring about massive positive benefits, uh, whereas going from three to four workouts per week, I mean, of course, it can bring you great benefits as well, but not as great as the move from two to three. So you're getting onto that curve of diminishing returns when when you're beyond when you're going beyond three workouts per week in a single discipline. So that's why ideally with a triathlete that want that may be time crunched but want to optimize their performance i try to get them to doing three swims and three runs and three bikes per week because in that way generally speaking you can get a lot out of that even on a fairly time restricted budget uh, so again not saying that it isn't great like better in terms of if you really want to maximize your performance to train four or even five times per week per discipline but for the additional effort and time put in, you start to get less and less out of it. That's just part of the game. Beginner gains come easy and advanced games, gains come very, very hard. If you do already train three times per week on the bike in this current example, then let's take a look at your typical training week and your typical long workout. So I think that all endurance athletes, even if, even if your focus would be just on sprint distance racing, or Olympic distance racing. But regardless, uh, even if that was the case, any endurance athletes can benefit from a long aerobic ride. It doesn't have to be five hours, of course, if you're focusing on the sprint distance, but, but still long. So perhaps you note that during this time of year, you, uh, you're currently not doing anything longer than 90 minutes on the bike. Well, in that case, from a performance improvement standpoint, I'd say add all of your extra volume to that long ride, to that 90-minute ride, making it almost three hours in duration. Uh, so again, I need to remind, remind the listeners here that we have established that in this example, the athlete is doing at least three bike workouts per week. So we're not prioritizing frequency anymore. We're, pr uh, we're prioritizing then the duration of, of a long workout. And that's why we're adding the volume here to the long ride. On the other hand, if you are actually already doing a long ride, so you are already doing something that is, let's say, two and a half hours, three hours, then ask yourself, what's my goal event? And for you, Derek, that's the Ironman. And I would say that if the goal 
is a half or a full Ironman, then I think that if you have time and it works logistically with your weekly schedule, then doing a second relatively long ride in the week could be very advantageous. So in this example, if you're usually doing a three-hour ride on the weekend and you're doing two one-hour rides during the week, I would say that if you have time to increase the duration of one of those midweek rides to two hours or even two hours 20 with all your available time, then that would be amazing. But if that's not possible, then perhaps you could split the duration between the two rides more evenly, make both of them one hour 30 minutes, one hour 40 minutes. But of course, if that's not possible either due to scheduling, well, uh, there's nothing wrong with increasing the frequency of rides after all and simply adding a fourth weekly ride to your routine. So I hope that this example with kind of a flowchart thinking flowing through it gives you an idea of the general principle and thought processes to use. Uh, Just a couple of things that I want to note in addition is that first, for pure beginners, there's really any need to focus on the duration of individual workouts, but it makes more sense to prioritize frequency of workouts at that level. And second, in running, The balance between frequency and duration is also quite a bit different than cycling, I would say, because the point of diminishing returns and increased risk of long runs occurs much sooner than for cycling. One could argue that until you get to the specific preparation phase for half or full Ironman, there isn't that much reason to ever run longer than 90 minutes for your long run. This isn't a hard and fast rule by any means. There are exceptions and it depends on all of that. But the point is more so to warn against starting to do very regular, very long runs when you're not ready for it because the risk is high and the additional benefits might not be worth it. So I would say on the running side of things, you might be better off building to doing two slightly longer long runs whatever that means for you it might be doing two times 80 to 90 minute runs in a week rather than building to one two-hour run in at least in the current base training phase when we are here in uh, mid-february or so so derek uh, i hope that this helps thank you again for choosing my beginner ironman training plan good luck with following it and then racing in august uh, be sure to let me know how it goes The next question for today is from Michal in Poland, who writes, Hi Michael, first of all, congratulations on an outstanding job with the podcast. I have been an avid listener for six months now and keep discovering more and more. I myself am not a triathlete, although I had a triathlon phase in my life, but I am a multi-sport athlete. I do adventure racing. And although pacing in adventure race, race racing does not seem to match the triathlons, we do train as hard as it gets to get where we want to be uh, and also try to combine three or even more disciplines that we train for. The sport being quite a niche one, though, doesn't have a lot of great uh, coaches around and coaching information around. So I have a few questions. One, regarding training paces for running, should I target uh, training zones based on, for example, the Jack Daniels a training pace calculator based on a recent test or race result, for example, a 10K? Or should I maybe be targeting the training paces of the result I want to achieve? So let's say now that my 10K is just under 40 minutes, but I want to run 38 minutes. Do I use training paces based on the 40-minute 10K or the 38-minute 10K? 
All right, uh, Michal, thank you so much for your question. So for most of your training, uh, you and all listeners uh, should train to where you are now. So in this example, you should be doing most of your training according to the 40-minute 10K benchmark in this example. That is what you base your training zones on. Uh, this means that all easy runs or endurance runs that you do in zone one and zone two uh, in a five zone system, they should be planned and executed according to this current level of fitness, the 40 minute 10K. And this also goes for most of your harder workouts, whether it be tempo or threshold runs or interval workouts. But there is one important exception to this, and that is when doing race specific training. So in your example, if you have the goal of running 38 minutes for a 10k, then especially as you get closer to the race, you should be doing race-specific workouts with some regularity. And uh, that means simply running at the pace that you need to hold, that you need to run 38 minutes for a 10k, and do that as part of race-based intervals on relatively short recoveries. This is a great training stimulus because these workouts are hard and intense, but importantly, it also allows you to get a feel for how fast you need to be running on race day and for where you are right now in relation to your goal. Is the goal realistic? Are you getting close to it? And uh, do you think that you'll be able to hold it for the entire 10K? A good example of a 10K specific workout would be something like six times five minutes at your target race pace with two minute recoveries. But this principle applies in all triathlon disciplines and for all distances as well. So not just in running, and uh, in cycling, for example, it does apply in certain disciplines like time trialing, of course. Uh, I have my athletes do benchmark workouts like this, uh, usually at least once per month. So if an athlete has the goal of running an ABC pace in a 7.3 race this summer, then already in November, after getting back from their off-season, they did their first benchmark run where they did intervals at that goal pace even though it might be much faster than they could at that point be holding for a 7.3 run but each month they can see and feel how they're getting closer and it starts to look more realistic and it gives you a big strong sense of belief so again there, that's an exception the specificity is important and uh, you should do some specific training you can you can do that mostly in the specific preparation period but you can even do like i do with my athletes and have it as a regularly occurring thing that helps you track progress uh, through the year from the start of the season to the race the race season starting and uh, that is essentially what we're doing although i do want to emphasize that it's not about like making those workouts all out you're not going to run 21 kilometers of race based intervals in that sort of workout but you're actually starting with something much more uh, i don't know let's say 40 minutes of intervals for a fairly well-conditioned runner so it could be 10 times four minutes on one one and a half minute recoveries and it might still be quite hard but it shouldn't be an all-out workout all right so the second question from michal is that since adventure races are days long do you think improving my VO2 max makes sense? Or should I rather be trying to improve my lactate threshold? So here I would say that a higher VO2 max certainly never hurts. And uh, more than that, uh, of course, it's beneficial to have a higher VO2 max, even in adventure racing. 
But that being said, in ultra distance and ultra duration races like adventure racing, I do not think that's what you should focus on at all. Uh, I think what you should focus on is, uh, you refer to the lactate threshold, and by that we usually refer to the second threshold, uh, so uh, VT2 or LT2 in the scientific terminology. But what is even more important would be the first threshold. So that is the point below which your blood lactate is still essentially at baseline. So there's no increase in blood lactate when you're exercising below the first threshold. And we refer to that as LT1, lactate threshold 1, or VT1, ventilatory threshold 1. And to increase that first threshold then basically that means that you get it to a higher percentage of your current VO2 max. And uh, the best way to accomplish this is simply to do quite a lot of training in zone 2. And also specifically in and around that LT1, you can you can target that intensity. If you manage to measure it, for example, with a lab test or some sort of metabolic test, or just estimate it, you can estimate it as your the high end of your zone 2. If you're using the, for example, Daniel's running calculator, it's not going to be perfect, but it's also not going to be a disaster, I don't think. And uh, funnily enough, that training might also very well increase your VO2 max, because a lot of training in Zone 2 is a great way to improve VO2 max as well. So if we say that your VO2 max is 60 milliliters per minute per kilogram body weight, and your LT1 currently is at 60% of VO2 max, then that means that your oxygen uptake at LT1 currently would be 36 milliliters per minute per kilogram. And if you can move that LT1 independently of VO2 max, you can maybe get it up to 70% of VO2 max. So from 36 milliliters per minute per kilogram to 42 milliliters per minute per kilogram. And in terms of what speed you can then maintain or power on the bike without an increase in blood lactate, those 6 milliliters per minute per kilogram that makes, makes a huge difference. So so that is the number one focus in terms of physiolo- f- physiological parameters that I would have as an adventure racer. And uh, for that matter, also as an Ironman athlete or, or, or half Ironman athlete even. Uh, second, I think economy is uh, a really important variable to improve. And uh, economy means simply the yield of speed or power for a given metabolic energy input. So let's say that you are now able to exercise at 70% of VO2 max at your LT1, so 42 milliliters of oxygen. Uh, In running, you might have runner A at 42 milliliters per minute per kilogram and runner B also at that same oxygen uptake, but they can have quite different speeds because one runner is more economical than the other. And bear in mind here that we are already controlling for body weight because this is the relative oxygen uptake. Uh, so the body weight is not the the reason for the difference in speed, it is the economy, the yield of output to metabolic energy. So there are two simple ways to improve your economy. Number one is simply to exercise a lot. And number two is to include some amount of hard workouts. So on running, for example, it would be could be things like threshold runs or VO2 max intervals. It doesn't really matter that much, I think, what exactly it is when it comes to economy. Uh, but running faster, exercising harder does seem to give positive benefits for economy. Finally, let's not forget race specificity. This is not a physiological parameter, but I'm including it here anyway, because arguably I would say that this is the most important aspect of training that uh, you can do, both in terms of tracking your progress and also making progress. 
because if you do race specific workouts you will get better at them you will adapt to them and that indicates a better readiness to perform on race day so specificity is always important it's always going to be important and uh, race specificity for you as an adventure racer would be uh, to go out in a terrain that mimics your races and train at an intensity that mimics that that sort of racing and so it would be a low intensity but it may include some stochastic uh, changes in intensity when for example running or cycling over steep hills or up on mountains and so on so uh, so that's basically the kind of training that you should be doing as well it can be logistically challenging of course but uh, i think it's very rewarding so you should try to do that so to summarize i think that given your adventure racing goals uh, in terms of physiology you should focus primarily on lt1 meaning that will increase your stamina and your ability to go for hours and hours at a fairly low intensity without fatiguing while the intensity is low uh, doing two three four or even five hours of work at lt1 uh, on the bike for example is a really big ask so you don't have to com- you, you shouldn't confuse low intensity for easy workouts because if you do a long ride or a long run at lt1 that's eventually going to get hard just because of the duration of it uh, but uh, so yeah it's always a combination of intensity and duration but uh, don't forget to include some higher intensity workouts which can serve to improve your economy as well as of course uh, potentially improving vo2 max and lt2 uh, improvements in those two parameters are not insignificant even if they're not that much of a priority uh, compared to lt1 or economy but finally do make sure to practice race specificity however you manage to do it because if you do that well then you have a great advantage the third question is is it justifiable to first build up a solid running base and then with the weather improving in the spring add on bike training usually the bike leg in adventure racing is much longer uh, but again it is mountain biking and the pace is much lower than uh, in the ironman so my thinking is i will build an aerobic and anaerobic base in winter mostly by running but also ski touring and cross-country skiing because i live in a mountainous part of poland and then i will add the bike specific training in the spring again partly road and partly mountain biking by the way i hate indoor training indoor bike training i'd much rather be cycling in the snow so uh yes i think that is definitely something uh, that you can do to work on the running during winter and then add in cycling as the weather improves as we get into spring it makes sense as well because when you focus more on the running during this winter phase your volume will inevitably be lower than later on when you do the bike focus and volume gradually increasing uh, as you approach race season makes sense given that we're talking about adventure racing ultra endurance racing so yeah you get more specific the closer you get to the race with more volume and getting that endurance uh, work up Uh, as i talked about in last week's q a cross-country skiing and also ski touring are perfect additions to winter training and will all contribute to your aerobic base so it absolutely makes sense to add them in and when you do get an opportunity to go out and ride even if it's in the snow on your fat bike Uh, take that opportunity Uh, just try to get in a bit of bike maintenance training in that way it doesn't have to be that much of it but but if you can do it uh, even once per week or once every two weeks then then that that would be awesome 
And by the way, I would have no problem at all from a coaching perspective with that bike maintenance being done outdoors on whatever bike and terrain suits the weather conditions, whether it's the mountain bike or a fat bike. Uh, so just because you hate the indoor trainer doesn't mean you have to say no to to absolutely all bike training in winter. I would actually recommend against that. I would recommend trying to every once in a while take an opportunity to go out and do some endurance work on the bike. And then the final comment, you mentioned building an aerobic and anaerobic base in winter. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by this. Uh, the way I see it is that you are building the aerobic base. And yes, you can also absolutely do some speed work during winter training. Do, for example, strides on running, I would highly recommend. Or weather permitting, some short and fast intervals, uh, not going and absolutely smashing yourself or anything but just working on really good biomechanics good neuromotor control and coordination that would be really beneficial for economy so you could call it building a biomechanical base by adding those types of speed workouts but at least according to my admittedly very limited knowledge of adventure racing you don't need to focus specifically on on building any anaerobic capacity or or building an anaerobic base as that's simply not one of the race demands uh, the way that i understand the sport anyway so thank you michael for your question and uh, hope this helps and uh, that your adventure racing uh, goes really really well this year and that's it for today's q and a keep sending in questions that you want answered on future episodes to michael at scientific triathlon.com and that's michael with a k if you're interested in coaching or training plans like Derek using the beginner Ironman training plan for his racing this year, then simply go and check out what we have to offer on scientifictriathlon.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Zen8. Use the Zen8 swim trainer to improve your technique, power, and stamina, even when you don't have time to go to the pool or pools are closed, and do that while practicing good core activation and a high elbow catch position. Get 20% off your order on the Swim Trainer with the promo code that you can get on zen8swimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.